Counting mountain goats along the spine of our highest mountains via helicopter sounds dangerous, and in fact it is. Come along on today's podcast and learn all about counting this elusive critter. Hi, and welcome to the FVCC Nature Journal, the podcast for everyone who loves nature. We are coming to you from the beautiful campus of Flatted Valley Community College at the foot of the Swan Mountain Range of Northwest Montana, my favorite mountain range. I'm John Fraley, longtime instructor in wildlife conservation here at the college, and I also served 40 years with Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. Our producer is Colin Burkhart, and thanks to Morgan Ray, the library director, for offering the library as our podcast home. Well, today, again, we're happy to have Fish, Wildlife, and Parks biologist Franz Inglefinger on the show. Franz, thanks for coming on again. No, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. In our last show, we talked about the biology and behavior of the mountain goat, and today we'll visit with you about the helicopter surveys you've been conducting in northwest Montana. Wow, that sounds pretty exciting, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. And tell us a little bit about how exciting it is. I mean, what, what do you, when you step into that helicopter, are you worried? Are you excited? Are you exhilarated? You know, I'm excited. I'd, I'd say I'm not a great flyer mm. on a plane, but something about being in a helicopter, maybe it's that the controls are there and I have an illusion that mm. I could grab them and control something. But, uh, you know, it is exciting. It's much more intimate being in a helicopter mm-hmm. than in a uh, fixed wing or airplane. Yeah. It is loud. It's a little bumpy yeah. ride. Yeah. And if you're at all prone to motion sickness, it's not for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're right about I think it's safer, too. And, you know, like I was telling you, I was able to count streams into their reaches via helicopter in the entire Bob Marshall and the Middle Fork and the park. And I found it to be extremely exciting, but I felt pretty darn safe because you can go slower, you can hover. The pilots give you a good sense of, of safety. So they have a bunch of great pilots, right? Oh, yeah. We, we have a great aviation division within, this, within Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. And locally, we work with pilots who work for search and rescue and air ambulances and they're very competent flyers, and they've got excellent eyes for spotting wildlife. They're better than any of our biologists, I think, in, in terms of spotting the animals. And <laughs> you so, just got to be careful, though, that they're really concentrating on the flying and not the spotting. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of faith in them. I think what makes it dangerous is that we are flying in, a, in rugged terrain, right. in alpine environments where weather is variable. Mm-hmm. We're flying often at low elevations, close to cliff faces, that is what makes it dangerous. But in terms of the equipment, the pilots, the safety precautions are all there. It's just a, a higher risk environment. And when I was doing it in 1980 and 81, we had a smaller helicopter. It was a Bell, or not a Bell, a Huey. I don't know, it was little. Yeah. And we had one pilot, his name was Doug Getz. He was very good, but he was the main pilot for Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. And I remember going up Lincoln Creek and over the top, uh, over to uh, Lake Ellen Wilson, over the top to Gunsight. And man, how exhilarating, how incredible. I mean, do you realize how lucky you are to have been able to do this? I feel very lucky. It, it is exciting. <laughs> These are great pilots. You know, they fly very controlled when we're in mm-hmm. the, I mean, they can, they can maneuver those things much more quickly, but they're flying very conservatively. Yeah. But, you know, there are times when your stomach just literally drops. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you're in a helicopter because I just think it's, it's pretty darn safe compared to a fixed wing. So the purpose of these, tell us about the purpose of these flights and what you're trying to accomplish. So we inventory all sorts of wildlife populations, and, and the purpose literally is to get a sense of their abundance and the, their age structure, as well as sex ratios. So males to females, young to adults, and simply the numbers. 
So as far as males and females, like as you mentioned, the billy versus the nannies, I remember I had a goat permit in the Rumble Creek area. I didn't get a goat, but uh, I was studying these, these films they put out about how to tell apart a, a nanny and a billy, and it wasn't that easy. How do you do it from the air? You know, when you look at goat populations and survival and growth, it's female survival and not recruitment that drives population changes. Really? So that's why there's that effort to kind of help hunters distinguish between males and females. Mm -hmm. But morphologically, they're very similar and difficult to determine even in the field. So it's sort of like the bend of their, their horn. There are a couple different characteristics. Urination posture. Okay. You can see genitalia in the summer when they're not right. clothed in their winter cloaks. And then, yes, the horn characteristics. Males have a more robust horn that arcs throughout its length as opposed to females they talk about it sort of coming straighter right. and then having a crook at the end last five to seven centimeters but that's very difficult to determine from the land and from the air it's it's not impossible and so there are two approaches to surveying goat populations one is aerial flights and the other is ground mm -hmm. again the defining characteristics of these animals that they live in small groups isolated across very remote rugged terrain makes them hard to survey and so use ground surveys where people are on the ground looking at different ranges to spot goats to really identify sex ratios and age classes. From the air, you're really getting what's called a minimum count. Yeah. We fly, we try and fly in a consistent manner. So that means consistent timing, time of day, as well as consistent effort so that we're surveying, you know, the whole area extensively so that we can make comparisons between successive surveys. But like you said, I mean, they can they can push themselves against a cliff, they can get in a cave, they can get in the timber. There's so many ways for them to avoid your gaze. Yes, yes, they are, they're hard to survey. And yeah, they do respond to us and they respond by, you know, so golden eagles are a predator of mountain goats, especially they're young. Right. And so they're very keyed into predation from the air. And when we're flying, they key into us. And the nanny groups respond much more to us than billies. And we were also talking, I was telling you about that time that it was actually 1975. So it might have been before you were born. I'm not sure. Not <laughs> quite. Not quite. <laughs> but anyway, I was up at Lick Lake in the Bob Marshall doing, a, doing, doing some work on aquatic insects up there. And I was coming down Doctor Creek, and I couldn't believe it. I walked right into a herd of goats in the timber. Mm -hmm. And there was a lick. There was a lick there. you got to go check that out. Cause I, I assume it's still there. Yeah. And I was amazed. I thought, gosh, I didn't know they were in the timber. Yeah. That's one of the things that makes them hard to see. So we focus our surveys, you know, in the morning and in the, well, in the morning. We can't survey in the evening because of high winds. And, right. But um, focus in the morning when they tend to be out in more open areas. But timber does obscure their sightability. And so there are sightability models where we say, okay, if I see, you know, 50 goats, well, you know, sightability, I think sightability ranges depending on the landscape from about 40 percent to about 70 percent so we add mm -hmm. a factor when we try and think about what the population is doing okay. the challenge is is the terrain is different sightability is different in different landscapes you get to drier ranges with shorter less dense timber you've got better sightability than some of the places in like the bob marshall where mm -hmm. you have lots of trees and yeah you can you can miss goats well let's let's take for example the swan range and <laughs> you know you recently flew the swan range Tell us some little details or some little stories about what it was like doing the spine of the swans. Boy, that's a magnificent range. You leave the airport at crack of dawn at that time of year. It's about 6 a.m. It takes about 40 minutes to get to your mm -hmm. survey area. And then you're literally flying along the cliff face. Do you go as far north as Columbia Mountain? No, 
No, our hunting district. It, oh, you're doing hunting district. We, we yeah. surveyed by hunting district. The hunting okay. districts we were doing were south of there. But okay. um, you're basically flying right along the mountain faces, focusing on suitable goat habitat. And that's anything that has, you know, steep ridges, steep cliff faces. And you're literally flying. You usually start right along the ridge line to see if there's anything in the open. And then you kind of work your way down the cliff face, going back and forth along a side, you know, maybe taking two, three passes as you work your way down. When you spot a goat, you kind of stop and you circle, mm -hmm. and they have an uncanny ability to disappear. <laughs> you know, and we talked about, you know, they'll push themselves and freeze against the wall. They'll seek cover under overhangs, into caves, or just under trees. And so, yeah, they, they can be quite elusive. Even when you get your eyes on them, you know, the helicopter swings around, and then where'd they go? And, you know, the neat thing about it, too, is when you're up there and you're locating goats, you're also seeing all those gorgeous mountain lakes. And do you remember seeing Pony Lake? Were you there? Yes. There? Yeah, yeah. You were just up there. So. Oh, okay, <laughs> I, didn't, yeah. I didn't see your helicopter. <laughs> well, good. We didn't disturb you. But that's got some great ridges around. Did you see, do you remember if we saw any goats around Pony? I, I can't recall if we saw them around Pony. But, okay, um, all right. You know, the, the other thing is you're doing this early morning. The Swan Range is a north-south range. Right. And so you are flying north to south looking either east or west. Right. And that low angle sun can blind you. Oh, yeah. And, you know, even the pilot talks about, you know, flying towards this massive cliff blinded by the sun. And, it, you know, the cliff face appears literally at the last second. So, yeah, a little, a, a little hairy. So a number of goats in a particular area that you saw, for example, do you remember how many you saw in the Swan Range and maybe at one or two high points? Well, we have a few minutes left. Sure. We, we, I surveyed two hunting districts, our, our southern two in the Swan. And so in one of the districts, we saw uh, 36 goats, hmm. which is comparable to what they saw last surveyed in uh, 2018 when they saw about 42. And actually, you would expand that number based on sightability, right? Yeah, so we get a range. So I see 36 goats, I population estimate, but we saw between 50 and 65%. So we're talking 50 to 72 goats mm -hmm. in that hunting district. Okay, all right. And then a couple of high points. Throw high points, high boy, point. you know. It's all a high point, isn't it? <laughs> it's all a high point, but, you know, a couple were just seeing a, a, you know, a billy group right on just the edge of a cliff and just sort of silhouetted against the skyline. Uh -huh. That was awesome. You know, now you say a billy group. How many were there? There were two. Two. Okay. Two. You know, there was a giant mule deer right on the ridge. Didn't know what it was uh, doing out there, but at, at first light, yeah, I mean, right. that first, those peaks at first light are amazing. Oh, and then, imagine. you know, seeing these nanny groups of 10, 12, 14 animals, that's amazing to see them just in that habitat. It, it's uncanny and, and unreal, the type of terrain that they make home. And you were telling me that the, the kids stay very close to the nanny. Yeah, yeah. First couple of weeks, they are nowhere more than a, a meter or two away. Mm -hmm. And as they get older, they start to move. But again, you know, that first year of life, they actually have fairly high survival in part because they're right next to the nanny. Okay. And they actually have higher mortality rates during their second year of life as yearlings than as the first. Well, I always wonder because you, you see remote camera of grizzly bears and video and how the cub just stays right there and just repeats everything they do. And I suppose that uh, parental guidance has got to be important on jumping around those cliffs and so on. And that's probably where you're losing a lot of those, those uh, juveniles is they, they got to figure out what it's like to jump across a cliff and some of them probably don't make it. Natural mortality in mountain goats is quite high. You know, those yearlings have about a 30% wow. mortality rate. Yeah. It declines as they get older, but as they, get, as they start to age out, you see predation starts to take its toll. But but falls, avalanches, those are some of the risks in this high alpine environment, and it certainly takes its toll. Well, we wish those little guys luck up there as we go into fall and winter here. Franz, thanks a lot for coming on today. It's been fascinating, and you keep up the good work. 
John, it's a pleasure. Thank you. That's all the time we have for this episode of the FBCC Nature Journal. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fraley, and I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.